opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep, deep in perdition, if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism, if women and children have to live in impossible conditions, if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions, rise up. With innocent citizens Peace perish. and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parkus and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the July 19th, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We are little more than a month away from the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C., August 19th the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history. If you aren't organizing a local sister event, joining one, or even better, saving your pennies to get to D.C. on the 19th, then you suck. That is all. On this day in history, in 1799, during Napoleon Bonaparte's Egyptian campaign, a French soldier discovered a black basalt slab inscribed with ancient writing near the town of Rosetta which would later become to known as the Rosetta Stone that resurrected a 2,000-year-old dead language. Also, one day before today, the 18th of July, in 2015, I became the first slavery abolitionist to stand at the SC State Capitol and deliver a speech about ending slavery to a huge throng of South Carolinians since prior to 1865. It was called the Push Black, and united multiple black and white organizations in opposition to the Confederate flag flying over the state house and also in opposition to hate rallies by white militias at the state capitol. Literally kicked their asses out of town and they have not been back to any significant degree since. Now, on our radar, another video from NRA's Grant Stinchfield, a host at the NRA's online television network, has been released where delusional racist says that letting Black Lives Matter win, whatever that means, 
will result in white families being tortured and killed. Also, a study shows that cities rely more on fines for revenue if they have more black residents. We've been telling you that for years now. Using data from more than 9,000 cities, the researchers first found that cities with larger black populations rely more on fines and court fees to raise revenue. Then, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced Wednesday that federal law officials will expand civil asset forfeiture, meaning they can more easily take your property without pressing criminal charges or following state laws. Baltimore police are caught on on a body cam video planting drugs on innocent people. The next day, charges were dropped against those they had arrested, but days later, the same officer is called by prosecutors to testify in another case. The family of late reggae icon and marijuana activist Peter Tosh is seeking answers after they say his son was left in a coma following an attack in a New Jersey jail where he was serving a six-month sentence for pot possession charges. Our abolitionist and profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Desmond Ricks, Prosecutors in Detroit have dropped all charges as his murder conviction was thrown out June 1st after he served 25 years in prison. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the 1733 St. John Insurrection. You got a question or a comment? Call in toll-free from anywhere in the world, basically, at 1-866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Peace. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, what's up, Comrade Max? How you doing today, sir? Man, you know, I've been trying to just conserve my energy because I've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, both of us do, actually, got some stuff coming up. But uh, next couple of weeks, i got some traveling to do. I'm heading back to Ohio. I uh, haven't been there in several years now. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, you really you really are the road warrior, you in tribal. So, yeah. It seems like that, huh? <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all some true road warriors, man. Y'all get out there uh, spreading that abolitionist message. And... As I was just in BTR community uh, looking at some of the lineup of the stories, man, you know, just five years ago, I was not seeing many headlines with slavery in the title and just <laughs> the difference, man. And then like earlier today, I tagged you in a post um, from uh, recent Clemson University graduate A.D. Carson. He's been a guest on Black Talk Radio before as they were um, – on the Clemson campus pointing out that Benjamin Tillman was a racist, terrorist, and there shouldn't be any uh, halls named after him. And well, So that's how I first became aware of A.D. Carson. A couple of years ago, interviewed him, uh, hooked up with him through social media, continued to follow him. He has graduated. His dissertation was done completely as a hip-hop album. Um, maybe the first time that's been done. And he just recently got hired um, at, uh, I think it's the University of Virginia. But he has a track in his dissertation where he mentions 
that the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Now, that's, I wasn't even aware of that till he pointed that out to me because I asked him, as a hip-hop historian, was uh, Kadir Latif's uh, track, Hip Hop Needs Immense Change, was that the first instance of the 13th Amendment, or he didn't mention the 13th Amendment, but he said slavery wasn't abolished when he said, and they're lying when, when they told you slavery was abolished. But then now, I'm, I remember earlier that Kanye West came out with new slaves, and he mentioned the CCA in, in, in private prisons and, and whatnot. So Max Man, from five years ago to launching this program from this uh, so-called mass incarceration being discussed in its proper context, which is slavery, you know, we've taken it from discussing it with people or it has gone from discussing it with people only online among a few hundred to now we're seeing headlines and hip-hop tracks coming out talking about slavery never been abolished that man i feel great about that max it, it is good because you, you're you're looking scotty not everybody is looking like they don't even see the slavery how can they see the changes and advancements but we are in a blessed position i think that what was going to happen was going to happen and we just happened to be the people there at the time with the tools and the abilities to help really bring this thing more into the public perspective because uh, there's always been fighters. You know, we found that out. There's always been fighters. I think me and you were talking the other day uh, about Brother Lee Woods. And I was reminding you when you were saying, you know, how frustrating it is. I said, remember, Lee Woods has been fighting this for like 45 years. Right, <laughs> Imagine right, the frustration right, he right. went through, you know what I mean? I mean, he comes out, and I think um, he was aided in publishing that book by, I think her name was Barbara Esposita or something like that. But... Uh, Lee Wood wrote Prison Slavery in 1971 where it specifically mentions the 13th Amendment and all of these different authors, writers, historians, scholars none, much of their work is talked about today but I bet you if I go up to a random person on the street and say do you know who Lee Wood is and what his contribution is to consciousness, I bet you they'd be like, uh, Wood, who? Lee, who? Who you talking What you talking about? And it's a travesty that that book has been buried, man. And that's why I've made a point in, you know, uh, recently in some of my media uh, production to mention his name because he deserves that. Do Actually, to be honest with you, he, he had a program with us here on Black Talk Radio Network, which preceded this program, New Abolitionist Radio. So, you know, Mr. Wood has made a, a great contribution, and, you know, we're just building on what he started. You know, he's not going to be forgotten here, that's for sure. He has influenced everything that we do and laid the groundwork for us. He made life a lot easier for us because some of the things were already presented and formed before we came along. As I said, you know, what will be, will be. And I'm very proud to be a part of this. I was asking Tribal today because uh, some of the things that I've been hearing, I said, do you really think that they'll write about us in the history books? 
Because, you know, I, I feel like I'm a nobody from nowhere doing things I ain't got no business doing. That's basically where I'm coming from. I'm just the average dude. You know what I mean? When people talk about what I'm doing special, I look at it as like, no, nah, y'all got it backwards. I'm the normal one. The people that ain't doing nothing, that's special. Because I expect them to do. They're supposed to be doing something. In every way you can imagine, is they should be doing something, but they're not. And that is not normal. So I'm thinking of myself like that. And she's like, well, yeah, I think they will. <laughs> I said, when? She said, probably after we're dead. So, you know, at least my grandchildren have something to read about. Well, <laughs> that would be cool. The greatest legacy that, that abolitionists can leave is true freedom and an end to institutional slavery. As I mentioned to my uh, local congressman representing the 10th District of North Carolina Congressional District, where he talking about a bill they introduced to to tackle human trafficking. And, you know, I, I let him know, you know, hey, that kind of human trafficking, it's already illegal. What about the legal kind with these prisoners right. being uh, trafficked all across the United States and, and by private prisons as well? What about the 13th Amendment? What about slavery? And I remember talking to one of your staff members where he tried to get funny with me talking about some prisoners picking up trash on the side of the road when we know they're involved in every major industry that you can think of from call center work to processing food to picking produce, you know, that work that Americans, they say, won't do. Uh, but they don't tell you about those Americans that's out there doing it because they slaves. That's why. And, and I don't so mean that. I'm it's only sorry. a matter of time before they become doctors in prison and start doing surgery in prison. Man. So, yeah, yeah. So, man, yeah. So, I don't want to take up too much time. I did want to remind you, though, Max, we don't do the abolitionists in profile anymore. I think we've done them all except for maybe some of the modern ones. But remember, we was taking that one out and replacing it with the rebellion. Because okay. we, I mean, right. we probably covered well, every abolitionist. We didn't done some of them two and three times. No, so, I don't think so. I have a list of abolitionists. Before you started doing them, I had this list that I had acquired that showed sometimes the abolitionists only left behind a single speech that somebody had wrote down that they did at okay. a venue, or others who were not recorded in history in many ways, so they were forgotten. And it was hundreds of those. I well, mean, not everybody me was well-known. So there was hundreds of abolitionists we still haven't even touched. Well, if you could get me that list, because I've ran out of, I okay. keep coming across the same ones online. Well, what we might have to do is start just reading those letters or those words that they left behind from the unknown abolitionists because it's the unknown okay. abolitionists that makes the biggest difference in the world. Collectively coming together, your names might not ever make it to the history book, right. but damn it, you were there and you participated and you said something and to you that's enough, ain't it? Max, I was just thinking about that um when I heard somebody say, and names ain't important, because when you start naming names, people want to act like you attacking the person and not what was said or the ideology. But I heard a person say that they've only seen a few great black men in their lifetime. I guess they ain't never seen no great black women, but they mentioned men, and this was a male, and they said Martin Luther King Jr., they said Malcolm X. Uh, I think that's about it. I can't think of, I can't remember right now who else they said. And I was saying, 
So those were the only great black men, huh? But are you not considering that those men that you name had a whole bunch of men and women and children behind them that was their support network and that the work didn't get done without them, okay? <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. These are, we're talking about human beings. No individual can carry a movement by themselves. It, t- it takes collective prudence as Dave likes to say on Tando radio show it takes collective prudence so we don't know who all the unnamed persons who participated in the movements that those men whose names we know were a part of but that just goes to what you just said Max there are many abolitionists who are not written down in the history books and we may find a scrap here or a scrap there but I'll tell you there's probably many more that there is nothing written about them and we will never know their names but when we transition we certainly will greet them yes yes indeed and I'll do my best to try to remember their contributions one way or another over the years, we've covered hundreds, as you said, of abolitionists whose stories would have not really been told in the context that we provide had it not been for us. Because, you know, they were being, uh, their narratives were being twisted and changed. I mean, look at what's happening with Harriet Tubman right now. They've already voted to put Harriet Tubman on the 20 I dread the day. I'll never use a $20 bill ever again. I really don't want to use any of the money, but I'll never use a $20 bill ever again. Can you imagine when someone buys sex with a stack of Tubman's or if they go and sell a slave in Libya and somebody gives them three or four Tubman's for it or if you're buying drugs or if you're robbing somebody or, or, or anything that's going on that's criminal and corrupt and evil will now have her face on it. Right, especially given yeah, the connection. I mean, it's the thing she fought against. Capitalism and slavery and now they're making it a poster child for it. Yeah, so I'll, you, man, we thinking on the same page, man, because people want to deny, but you can't de- deny the connection between capitalism and slavery, especially with the letters of Thomas Jefferson calling his victims capital. And then when you get to the root word of capital, which is the Latin, and it talks about counting. Counting your victims to determine your wealth. And so I'm not one of those people that's big on government systems and stuff like that, the different forms of communism, socialism, capitalism. All I know is what I live under. And I've studied the history of this country. Don't ask me nothing about what I think about socialism or what I think about communism. I can give, I can give you my opinion, but it's not really going to be all that informed. But I do know one thing that uh, uh, capitalism was the main driver of slavery. Yes. You got to fight it all simultaneously. I was discussing these things with Tribal earlier today in a little ride that we took, and I asked, what are the tools of slavery? I mean, you know, what are the tools that are used to keep and maintain slavery? And she was a little bit taken aback by the question. I just ask these things out of the blue sometimes. It's what I do. You know, I think too much. And I, she said, what do you mean? I mean, like, racism is a tool for slavery. Racism was developed in order to justify slavery, the enslavement of the Africans, and the genocide of the Native Americans, the red and the black men. So 
this is what slavery does. It's a tool for, I mean, this is what uh, racism does. It's a tool to justify slavery. What else is a tool that they use to keep slavery in the play? The justice system, the prisons, the police forces, uh, and it just, just a number of things, but identifying them so you can readily understand their connection to slavery really helps in putting the bigger picture together. Politics is one of those things that you were just mentioning. Politics dominated by racist white supremacists, right. which is where I wanted to start our program today with some breaking news. And we've been following this now for two weeks to see how the narratives are unfolding. And uh, the NRAs come out with another video. Now it's, it's a discussion they had with one of their regular show hosts on the NRA's uh, channel. And this man, I mean, I don't even want to say what he said. I want you people to hear it. I want them to hear it with their own ears so you understand who, what you're dealing with. Now, these are, these are lunatics. I mean, sociopaths of the highest order who are so evil and so twisted that they would victimize the people. They, they would make themselves the victim in order to justify their oppression, like those tools I was just talking about, where they make it seem like they're the ones dying and they're the ones being oppressed and they are subject to racism while all around them, everybody who doesn't look like them is either going to prison or dying without an army, a police force, an industry, uh, no banks, no currencies, but they're calling us the greatest threat Max, to human civilization. But Max, now see, this is why I point out to people, okay, that slavery affects more than just black people, all right? Are we are are we disproportionately targeted and are the videos circulated for entertainment purposes more than anyone else's? Yes. And then that gives you the perception that it's only happening to us. But when you drill down into the data and you really are are looking for these reports, you will see that it affect man, they shot a little Asian kid who had a pen in his hand. In California, not that long ago. Day before he graduated, just yeah, two day before ago. he graduated. Okay, uh, we have given reports about I forget the guy's name down in Florida, where all they left was the imprint of his body with all this yellow chemicals on the wall where they didn't gas him. That was a white boy. So these people right here, they're either choosing to ignore that that their family members or or people from their community is ending up in slavery or on a, on a morgue slab as a result of a slave catcher like that woman up in Minneapolis. They're, choos they're yep. either choosing to ignore it or they're ignorant of the fact because the mainstream media wants you to think that it wants the wider public to think it's only affecting black people because when it comes to black people, the, the dominant population doesn't have any empathy. But if you showed them picture after picture, video, snuff film after snuff film of them getting snuffed out by these cops, by these slave catchers, of them getting beaten in these prisons and jails and being forced to work the fields like priest 1865, uh, victims of slavery, then they might have a different perspective. But I believe the media purposely hides it from them so when these people come at us like they're under attack they're under assault you are it ain't by us though so why you choosing to ignore what's happening who your real uh uh enemy is 
You're, you're right, Scotty. This is the first time in history where white people have been subject to chattel slavery. <laughs> Picture that. Um, so there are a lot of people of all colors being affected on this on a regular basis. Like you said, the woman out in Minneapolis is the most recent example. Um, but it still doesn't indicate anything even remotely describing racism, institutional racism, which is what they talk about in the NRA, where they, they say black people are even capable of racism because they're incapable of racism. See, Max. But uh, that's what they call it. Max, Max, I ask, and I do see we got a caller. And if you want me to play that video, I'm having trouble identifying which one in our planning group. But All right. let me say this, though. Because I I put out a video the other day, Max. So I'm asking, I'm putting this question out there to the listeners. Anybody want to chime in? But I'm asking Max right now. Okay, so the N word appears on Walmart's website. Uh, for those that know how the retail industry works, if you get a partnership with Walmart, or even if you go to Amazon, it, pretty much anybody can list stuff on Amazon. So apparently. One of the vendors of Walmart who has access to their website posted a a do-rag cap or something like that, and they said it came in one color, nigger brown. So the whole Twitterverse, which Twitter's known for having a large you know, population of black people, oh, they went crazy. They went nuts over it. They are like, oh, this is racism. This is... Oh, how dare they put nigger on the website? And so I'm saying, but we've been telling you for years that Walmart is one of those companies that uses prison slave labor. You know, when you return those packages that you got for Christmas, you're returning gifts and stuff like that. Well, somebody has to break those packages down and repackage them. Guess who's doing that? Okay, victims of modern day slavery are doing that. But they don't seem to register the same as somebody calling you a nigger. I would think that somebody putting you into slavery would cause a much bigger outrage than somebody calling you a name. So my question is, is racism being used to distract from, to hide, to make people emotional and unconcerned about slavery? That's my question. You know, I tend to follow Occam's razor on most difficult questions, which basically means the simplest answer is usually the right one. And in this case, and in most cases, when you see these two words put together, spelling, because that's what they're doing, it's a spell to influence your thought process. Nigger brown. You associate one with the other. So when you see brown, you think nigger. It's, it's a very simple psychological aspect to it. And that is the reason why it is listed on their website as nigger brown. It's not doo-doo brown. It's not tree bark brown. It's not dirt brown. It's nigger brown. Because they want those two words associated with each other. Okay, but my question is, though, but my question is, are we being distracted by racism, which you rightly stated, is a tool of slavery, but we're more concerned about racism than slavery? That's what we're it more, seems to me. Yes, Scotty, there are people who are more concerned about racism than slavery, not seeing that the racism couldn't exist without the power behind it that slavery provides. Um, so they are more interested in that, but there are also people who are more interested in mass incarceration than slavery, and there are people who are more interested in police reform than slavery, and 
prison abolition than slavery. So there are uh, all these tools that are occurring that are tools of slavers and for slavery to function that people are grasping onto and focusing on as if they are the source of everything. Racism is the source of it all. We got to get rid of racism. No, prisons are the source of it all. We got to get rid, rid of prisons. And it reminds me of the old African tale about the six blind men and the elephant, where they're surrounding an elephant, these old wise blind men, and everybody feels a different part. And each one that feels that part describes something completely wrong. You know, one guy grabs the trunk and goes, this is a, this is a serpent. The other guy got his tail. He's like, this is a lion. And somebody grabs the legs and goes, this is a tree. It's slavery. <laughs> it's one big thing, and all of those are components of it. But you can't accept it's some reason, for some reason, this cognitive dissonance and double think thing doesn't allow you to accept that as fact. And when you do, your whole perspective changes. So we got a caller, Max, before we play that video. Um, uh, I don't know if this it is the last or... one in the uh, the last post in our planning page. Okay, this, I'll look for you that. Have to open the page, and then the video is inside the page. We got a call from Columbia. I don't want to. All say right, it. my people from Columbia. What's happening, Columbia? Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Peace. This is Palmetto Star, the Ratchet Revolutionary. <laughs> Actually, calling from Atlanta. Well, right. you know, I still got my Columbia number. <laughs> What's happening, brother? What's going on, Max and Scotty? Yeah, man. Uh, Peace. Good to hear from you. I ain't heard you in a while. Yeah. Like, I think he was our first caller, Scotty. Like, literally. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm still rocking with y'all. And that's not going to change. Um, you know, and, you know, as, as long as you guys are fighting that righteous fight, us abolitionists need to, you know, put the, get together, stick together, and, you know, fight together. You know what I'm saying? So definitely definitely a part of the movement that y'all doing love and support what you're saying i just wanted to add on to the conversation when you were talking about um slavery and how you know now white people are being enslaved and, and chateau slavery amongst white people but as uh nearly four um once said and he um he i think he really sort of embodied what is happening right now that they're that that white people have um what you call um um you have you call um white throwaways or white um, it's called white that, sacrifice that, that, that they have population they have a segment of the population that you know what i'm saying that they that they call that they use and they don't care about slavery because at the same time that it does um you know they are being enslaved themselves because they they effectively enslaved themselves after slavery, after Chateau slavery truly ended and they started doing the 40-hour work week and acting like everybody's, you know, working and doing the same thing. You know, there was no 40-hour work week prior to um, the end of the, 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 slave, the slave trade, you know, in America. There was no 40-hour work week or anything like that. So they effectively enslaved their population then just, to, just so they could... Um, still have um control you know so well, they're so if they have to oh white sacrifice that's the word i was looking for right um, that nelly fuller said you know they have a they do have um a segment of the population that they're willing to sacrifice yeah they're called poor whites um, that's they, what they're, they're called um, that they're palmetto they call poor whites you know they live in the areas like where i live in where there's no jobs and 
you know, uh, the drug trade is running strong because, again, there's no jobs. And then when there's no jobs and you're feeling depressed, people self-medicate. So, like, they locking up a lot of these people around here, man. So, yeah, they do sacrifice it. But this is what, this is, though, where I, I, let me see, I part ways with that. Because when we see people, when we see all the black board members of the GEO group, when we look at CCA and we see the son, not the grandson, not the great-grandson, but the son of Thurgood Marshall Jr. sitting on the board of a prison slave company, you know, and then you had Barack Obama, who's a constitutional lawyer, who modeled himself, tried to, you know, uh, latch on to the image of Abraham Lincoln, and then finding out that this guy is a descendant of John Punch, who was the first person sentenced to slavery by an authority in the Virginia the Virginia Governor's Council sentenced him to slavery for running away from his bond servant duties and put him in slavery for a lifetime and then to find out that that's Barack Obama's descendant I mean Barack Obama's ancestor and then for him that man knows that slavery was never abolished and then so you know I just I, I want us to all acknowledge our roles in it. And I draw the line on you either for slavery or you against it. Against it. Hey, Palmetto, I, I got to disagree with you on one thing, and then I want to praise you on another if you don't mind. Uh, All right. uh, the first thing I want to disagree with you on is the comparison of the 40-hour work week to slavery. It may have had its roots in slavery, but slavery is incomparable to anything else. There is no metaphor for what is occurring. I'll agree with that. I'll agree that. Right. I agree. I agree. So that's a problem that we do run across right now where people start calling things slavery when they aren't slavery and then they can't see real slavery because they're so confused about what slavery even is. And what I want to praise you for is, brother, you know, it was we're one day removed from making history in Columbia, South Carolina two years ago. When we ran oh, we, yeah. we you and myself and Erica Walker yeah. and many other organizations and groups and people got together, we crossed lines, we crossed ideologies. And we stood in opposition against that. Uh, what was going on in South Carolina with these racist white supremacists who were allowed to come to the state grounds and just terrorize us and to the point where even the governor told the entire state that instead of going and opposing them, just stay home. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and we came out there and we raised hell. They had hundreds yeah. of police and military out there trying to manage everything. But we raised hell, and we made an impact, and they ain't been back like that since. And they've been doing it every year before that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Word, I, 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 That was definitely commendable. And also, you know, that served as, you know, a, a blueprint to a lot of the things that I'm doing um, as it, Minister of Information of, of, um, of the Huey P. Newton Gun Club. I've taken that blueprint that we that we established in Colombia, and you know, setting and um, you know, unifying the street tribes out here, and and getting things popping out here in Atlanta. And so, you know, not only has what I'm saying is that not only has that you know affected you know the residents of Colombia, South Carolina, but now it's taken. I'm taking to a global scale to where we you know we, where we will get that liberation, where we will get that freedom, where we will get that. We will self-emancipate and get rid of this 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 the true slavery, the the the, um, the, the uh, criminal justice system, 
the um, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. So we we need to get we need to get rid of all of that. And um, I do you do I do ascribe to being an abolitionist as well as a as a revolutionary. So you know, um, I guess that's you know taking that model and seeing that happen, you know, in real time. You know, what I'm saying it was definitely empowering. Yeah, we inspired the world. But before you go and take this global, take a step back a minute and help us get this together in D.C. on the 19th. If we could do the same thing in D.C. on the 19th and we come together across all these ideologies and unity and opposition against all the things that slavery offers this country, I think that we could be uh, very, very successful in our goals. I I would love for him to roll with us up there, man, along with the uh, Carolina contingent. Uh Otis, man, we're getting background. If you got the uh radio program on in the background, we getting uh feedback from you. Uh Max, we got a couple of other callers. All right, we're gonna well let, let's take a couple callers, then we'll get into that uh NRA thing and discuss that because people can want to hear what they had to say and they want to hear what we have to say. Hey Palmetto, yeah, it, it was it if was you want to ride with us just just yeah contact us after the program man. I've already booked three rooms in Maryland and we've arranged for a rental for uh, as many as eight people. So you know once we get it all settled before then we we'll we'll have a nice little entourage on our way to d c and that's gonna be something special no yeah, it'll be great to meet right, you man face to face word uh next caller Scotty V who else is on the line? yeah, Max, give me a second. Is my audio not coming in correctly? seem like I might um, be on a delay or something. No, you sound okay to me. Okay. A little bit lower than normal, but you sound all right. I, I okay. Clear enough. Okay, let's go to 919. Thanks for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. What's your name and what's your question or comment? 919, Oxford. Did you have a question or comment? Last 45343. Okay, maybe just they... press uh, star star to unmute yourself if you want. I do have a question or comment, and make sure your phone is unmuted. All right, Max, let's roll into this video. While I got it up, you kept trying to play uh, ads and stuff, so <laughs> you know how. Busy. All right, well, uh, here we are. This is the uh, NRAA TV host warns white families will be tortured and killed if Black Lives Matter succeeds. Uh, Race relations are strained here in America after eight years of Barack Obama, but nowhere is near as bad as it is in South Africa, where white farmers are being tortured and killed almost every day in racist violence. It is a warning for the United States that you will never hear from the mainstream media in this country. Veteran Army Ranger and Frontlines correspondent Chuck Holton joins me more uh, with more on this. Chuck, I know you've been looking into this particularly and doing some research, and really the, the things that, that we're starting to learn are frightening and I guess it's not shocking that the mainstream media is not talking about this. Right. You know, the parallels between what's happening in South Africa and the, the blatant racism and violence that we're seeing from people like the Black Lives Matter crowd, from people like Louis Farrakhan and his uh, minions, uh, is happening in spades in South Africa. The, the uh, violence against farmers 
is being called for by uh, by government officials. Uh, it's being celebrated by politicians. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, the, the scary thing is it's kind of a warning for what could happen in the United States if we continue to let this get out of control, uh, to go down this path of, uh, you know, just this racial tension, this racial hatred that is being foisted uh, on the American culture by the Black Lives Matter crowd. You know, I was at this uh, very peaceful march over the weekend, this women's march, and there were a lot of Black Lives Matter people there. And, uh, you know, when you talk to people, they're all angry about this video that Dana Lash put out that said that, hey, when you go around and break things and burn cars and spray paint buildings, that you leave the police no choice but to do their job. And somehow that was equated as a call for violence. That's not a call for violence. That's saying when you act like an idiot, the police come and do what the police are supposed to do when you act like an idiot, and that is arrest you. And, uh, you know, somehow, like this this guy on, on Fox last night, on Martha McCallum's show, somehow trying to say that that's us calling for violence, it's exactly the opposite. It's us calling out the violent and saying this has to stop. And if you want to see why it has to stop, you look at South Africa. Over between three and 4,000 uh, white South Africans have been killed in the most horrific ways, uh, brutalized, raped, uh, tortured, drugged behind cars, uh, had drills taken to them, some really horrific things. And Chuck, uh, one, and one common theme here with what's going on in, in South Africa is that it is very hard to get a firearm now in South Africa as well to protect yourself. And right. many of these people that are being victimized uh, need that kind of protection. When we see what's going on in America, specifically California, look, there's another bill in California to limit the one gun a month plan that they have in California to all guns, not just handguns. If you don't think your Second Amendment rights can be destroyed, just look at California, just look at, right. at Europe, just look at South Africa, and once they take the guns away from you, now look at what's going on. They operate with impunity to do whatever they want to the citizenry, and we're seeing that in South Africa now. Did you hear these fools, Scotty? Like, this dangerous person. Yeah, this is uh, classic propaganda. Um, See, this is why I'm glad. No, I'm not going to say I'm glad. But as far as I know, you know, there's no BLM or Black Lives Matter anywhere connected to this abolitionist movement. We're abolitionists, okay? So you're not going to paint us into a corner of black versus white. And no, no, this is abolitionists versus slavers. So this is about knowing your enemy and knowing his tools and his tactics and guarding yourself against those things. So, I, you know, what can they say about the abolitionist movement? And one of the things they didn't mention, they mentioned, oh, some some burning of buildings or destruction of property. And then the police are forced to come out and do their job. Well, it's the police that cause those few individuals cause most of the individuals that be out there are peaceful okay uh, we can't control everybody you know that comes out and then the system has a way of sending agent provocateurs to discredit a movement okay so so we you know we know we know the uh, uh technology but they never mention that the reason that these people are out here doing what they're doing is because some American citizen has been gunned down 
unjustly by a slave catcher. See, they didn't mention any of that. None of the police brutality. And what does South Africa got to do with here? Is is you know I don't see no white people by the thousands being dragged out into the streets and shot or or murdered. And then all of the victims, I did look up the information. All of the victims are not white. That's on these farms that's getting killed. But why are they getting killed? Okay, let's let's think about that. Why are they being killed? Well, it may have something to do with some resentment of I don't know how long you know these Europeans have been there abusing these black people and they probably won't want their country back to you to borrow you know these kind of people white people's terminology maybe they want their country back catch a clue and get out and go back to wherever you came from okay so i mean I, you know I, i'm i'm just trying to explain their way of thinking it's not that i i think like that but, you know, they're not considering a whole lot of things because, you know, that's not what they're on there to do. They're out there to paint this as a race war when it's not. I've seen white people, large numbers of white people out there with Black Lives Matter banners. Okay, who's funding Black Lives Matter? They ain't getting millions of dollars from the black community. That's for darn sure. Who they getting it from? The George Soros types, the 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 Democratic super donors, and and what have you. And matter of fact, correct me if I'm wrong, Max, because I am never one to assume he knows everything. But as far as I have seen or heard or read, Black Lives Matter has never talked about slavery outside of Brother Dabaha uh, from down there in South Carolina. That's the only one. I have heard speak on slavery. The rest of them, no. They 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 on these what they call it intersectionality, complicated jib jabberish and you know theories and no, it's simple. It's slavery. Just call it slavery. Call it what it is. You know, we don't need all this intersectionality and all this and that. You know, you call yourself out there trying to defend black lives or speak up for black lives that's being murdered by slave catchers then why are you not talking about slavery then? You know, they're on that mass incarceration stuff. And and so, you know, uh, bless their hearts. I'm not seeing this from a mean-spirited way because most of these are young people. And maybe they haven't come into the knowledge of the 13th Amendment, except for Brother Dabaha, you know. But we know how he got kicked off that panel where NPR was filming when he was supposed to be the one as the local representative of Black Lives Matter and they kicked him off the panel. Yep, I was there. I remember very clearly, man. You got it on video. Yep. There's two groups of Black Lives Matter. There's the individual local organization and then there's the national organization. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have nothing to do with the national organization. I don't want to have nothing to do with the national organization. I'm not feeling the narratives that they put out. I'm still haven't seen or heard anything about this hundred million dollars from George Soros. I, I don't trust where that's coming from. But the individuals who have taken up the the call in local arenas have adopted the mind a mindset that is true that black lives must matter, that black lives do matter. And they act accordingly and they're trying to organize and uh, do things in their local communities with little to no help from the uh, main office at all. 
Right. So and, people and like we got Muhadine to Dean Debaha is doing what he needs to do. He's an abolitionist. He's a Black Lives Matter representative for Charleston, South Carolina, like Sharon Smith out in uh, uh, also in South Carolina or in North Carolina and the Quaker community and the Black Lives Matter community in Asheville, North Carolina. They're doing what they need to do and representing Black Lives Matter on a local individual level. But that right, right. national organization, I don't know nothing about it and I don't trust it. Well, I go to their, all you got to do is go to their website and they're talking about LGBT issues and, and things of that nature and intersectionality and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, there are individuals that we have come across that's associated with Black Lives Matter and they have been engaged in abolitionist work whether they realize it or not. Like the Boston chapter that got that private meeting behind the scenes with Hillary Clinton and and made her give an account for herself for taking pr- private prison lobbyist money. And then you want to act like you care about black people and you want to uh, uh, parade these mothers of the murdered black children out on a stage and and you taking money from private prison companies so again not attacking the organization just you know that hey don't assume that though that organization speaks for all black people because they don't all right do we have dealings with some of them yes we do as abolitionists because they recognize that slavery has never been abolished but this, this is all these racist propagandas of, of, of the NRA is trying to do they're trying to make it about race instead of justice yes and and see that is the key right there you can recognize the tools being used against you and that makes all the difference in the world it doesn't matter if what the tools are lies or truth they're using them to accomplish something. And the something is to empower racists with very to, uh, little to no mental capacity whatsoever for reality to pick up arms and just start indiscriminately killing black people or anybody based on the color of their skin. Because it could be somebody from Mexico, somebody from India, somebody from uh, Italy, it could be a Sicilian, and you, oh, he looked kind of dark, so shoot him. This is what they're trying to accomplish in order to create a condition where they can take over the whole damn country. They've already put their people in play. Well, they're like, not going to do that. We, they, they're not going to be able to do that. But like I said in that video um, a couple of weeks ago, that that video is a call to the slave patrols. That's what it is. That's the same sort of cause that went out whenever Africans were rebelling on the plantation. Let's send the word out. Everybody come, bring your guns. And, and you know, so, uh, hey, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's, it all circles back to I, slavery. I, want to break, I want to break down a couple more points about this video. Um, first of all, we knew in advance that Trump would have a purpose here for us. Like, he, for us, our purpose that he would fulfill would be to expose the race, the, the blatant institutional racism, the oppression and everything that has been done and is being done on levels of corruptions we haven't seen since the 1800s. And he has done that. And this man right here is a U.S. Army Ranger. This is the type of dude that would have the ear of the senators or the congressmen and ducks. And he's out there talking about how black people are such a great threat 
that we are going to that in South Africa, uh, South Africa, over three thousand white people have been slaughtered in the most horrible ways. Let me tell you something, Mr. U.S. Ranger. More than three thousand people were slaughtered in horrendous ways last year here in America between the police and the jails and the prisons. More than three thousand. Just police killings alone was as high as fourteen hundred. And that's not counting the two or 2,500 that die in jails and prisons. Because we can't count all of the ones that simply died over neglect, which is murder. You know, we can't count the people that committed suicide after, uh, like Sandra Blands, for instance, and many others that reported on, which again is murder. So I don't know what you're talking about, these slaughters that you should be so frightened of that all white people need to take up arms against anyone who protests and anyone who protests who happens to have dark skin is Black Lives Matter. These narratives are ridiculous on, at face value and should be completely dismissed as such. Hey, but Max, he, one, one yes. point to your point is he just legitimized, quote-unquote, Al-Qaeda or ISIS because isn't that why they say they attack people? It's because of the millions, let me say again, millions of Arabs and black people and brown people who are quote-unquote Muslims, you killed a million in Iraq alone. I wonder if he is one of those special forces unit that went into Libya and assisted those terrorists in overthrowing U.S. ally. Again, this is facts, people. The Libya was an ally of the United States when Barack Obama sent Hillary Clinton over there to overthrow that country. And now that country is practicing slavery in open markets like it was, you know, back in the 1600s or 1700s. Arabs enslaving Africans is happening. That's from the United Nations. So he's the last person. These are the last people to need to be talking about some kind of uh, genocide against white people or that. Man, y'all have killed millions. Millions. I hate to say how many. Probably over a billion if we want to go back to Vietnam. You're right. You're right, Scotty. They are the last people to have anything to say, but they are the first, and they control a lot of the media. They have a lot of the money. They have the access, the power, the legislators in their pockets. It's so easy to dismiss them and go, you know what? F you. I don't care about you, but you have to recognize the power that they uh, exercise and their end game and their goals that they're trying to achieve. And those goals include genocide, and that's something real. Uh, it's already going on to a very large degree because a slow genocide is a genocide just the same as a quick one. Um, but they're talking about some slaughters right now going on, and they're using fear mongering on levels that are just you know out of this world. You know, they say everybody in everybody black is Black Lives Matter. But let me tell you something uh, that is true: Black Lives Matter as an organization is not a threat to white supremacy. Black Lives Matter as an abolitionist platform is a threat. If they ever adopt the stance of abolition instead of reform, that's a threat. Because now they have all these organizations and groups to back them up and the money to back them up, and they're heading towards abolition. Then you need to start worrying about things because everything you hold dear could be taken away from you because you'll no longer have access to that power and authority which is given to you through slavery. 
Well, that's all I want to say about that. If we got any other calls, it's almost nine o'clock. Might as well take a couple more and then finish off with a few more stories that we can squeeze in. So um, if you're on the Max, line the and you want to chime in and pardon my ranting, you know this is a passionate thing we're doing. But uh just press star star and be sure that your phone is unmuted. Yeah, you can continue, Max. All right. Well, that's as much as I wanted to cover on that for now. I think people should look at the video and make up their own minds about what they're saying. And remember what this represents. This is power. This is authority. These are the people with the guns and the money and the power saying this. Just keep that in mind. Don't just miss it out of hand. This is dangerous. Yeah, they. I mean, they try and make it seem like it's some kind of global uh, war against you got white else to people. Cover on that, Scotty. What's that? Unless you had any more thoughts on that. Well, uh, well, um, like I was just saying, they trying to act like it's some kind of global war against white people when the global war has been against non-white people. Always. There's no time in history that I know of where white people have ever been oppressed by black people as a whole. <laughs> and even the massacres that they love to talk about, like, you know, what Nat Turner did and Denmark Vesey, usually that only happened in their minds. Because they, the, the people never actually got to the point. Maybe Nat Turner did, but most of them never got to the point where they started slaughtering enough people for it to be a slaughter. And then, at most, we're only talking about twenty-five, thirty people, fifty right. or sixty. When you have murdered millions, millions, millions. Well. Let's talk about some of the other issues that are up here today because that one is pretty passionate. You know, one of the things I did want to make sure that we mentioned today was what's happening in Baltimore. Like, Baltimore is one of the most corrupt places for police, and every freaking body knows it, man. And I wish Christopher Irvin was listening in. Maybe he'll call in and chime in if he, if he is. But apparently Baltimore police, with their own body cams, got caught planting drugs in uh, on innocent people and then arresting them got caught it's on their own body cam like how stupid do you have to be <laughs> to actually have it on the body cam and the kicker of it is that after this officer was shown on video to have been planting drugs on innocent people who were being jailed in baltimore's jail they called the man to testify on another case just a few days later like his ass wasn't corrupt at all that's nothing y'all come on in here we can believe his testimony he's an honest upright guy who just happens to plant drugs in the innocent people's possessions every now and then <laughs> it's pretty crazy Scotty well, but um, no Max I wonder if that's in addition to I think it was six to eight officers who uh, were in that federal indictment on racketeering charges who were doing the same thing who were planting drugs and also robbing people you walking down the street see somebody rob them you know what I'm saying I mean they took yes. they took uh, they took uh, what is it called and we'll talk about this in another story but uh, asset forfeiture seizure to a whole new level I mean they was mm -hmm. like yeah we not gonna be bothered with that paperwork just give me the money well, we went up on our, our uh, break time, and I'm just going to make a quick statement. When we come back from the break, we'll read this story from Baltimore. But remember this, people. Legality don't mean nothing about right and wrong, because every horrible thing that has ever been done to man by man has always been legal. We'll be right back after these messages.
for podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, You know, before the break, I was talking about all those things being legal. I mean, just think about slavery and everything that went on inside slavery. All the brutality, the horror, the experiments uh, that they did on people's bodies, the torture, the oppression, all of that was legal. People walked up and down the street every freaking day in their beautiful dresses and wonderful suits, waving high to each other while just a few feet away from them, some of the worst atrocities in human history were happening right under their noses. Very much like No, right in front of their faces, Max. Under your nose um, means that you didn't know. You know, it was under my nose, like it was hidden from you. No, it was right in your face. Just like it's right in your face today. But you're calling this something else. All legal. Um, So this story that comes out of Baltimore, I got from Fox 5 News, and uh, it's a a 90-second clip. If you want to play the clip, Scotty, we can do that. There's a 10-second thing where you got to wait for the commercial uh, if you want to queue it up. Um, yeah, I gotta refresh go my them... page actually. So is it on? Uh, okay, there it go. Because we got a lot. I just of... posted on. Yeah, I posted on New Abolitionist Radio. I usually put them up there first before I mention them or while you're talking about something. I'll put it up there. But um, this clip is like ninety seconds. During that time, you see. Remember, you got to watch the video, but they'll narrate most of it. You'll see the three city officers in an alley. One officer is seen returning to the spot where uh, the three were just standing. He picks up a can and pulls drugs from it. This is the same can, it appears, he placed the drugs in just a few seconds earlier. The case was scheduled for trial last week. After a public defender reviewed the footage, he contacted the prosecutor in the case. In an email, the prosecutor says, I passed it up and we're all appalled. Something is going to happen because of this revelation. The next day, charges are dropped, but days later, the same officer is called by prosecutors to testify in another case. You all right there, Scotty? I'm getting to foxbaltimore.com right now. <laughs> hold, hold up. All right, no doubt, man. It's, it's this damn shame, man. And, and, you know, we go into the assumption that cops are corrupt when you bust them. Like, they weren't corrupt before that. The moment you busted them is when they started doing these things. And we have been saying here for years now that there should be some kind of law. It has to be required that any time a policeman is caught and convicted, or not just policemen, but policemen, prosecutors, public defenders, judges, anytime anybody has people's lives in their hands like that are prosecuted for corruption, everything that they've ever worked on needs to be reviewed. Now, I know that's a lot of work for lifetime uh, employees like judges who've been on the bench for 40 years, the cops who have been on uh, force for 25, 30 years, but there are people who are in prisons and jails or possibly dead that need justice and freedom, and we just tend to forget them. Like, you know, he just got corrupt today. He ain't never did nothing to nobody else ever. This is the first time. All right, Max. It needs to be. All right, well, here's the video so you can hear it yourself. I think it's only two minutes long. Reported on a Baltimore police officer's body camera appears to show a city officer manipulating evidence, a video that tonight has led the Baltimore Police Department to launch an investigation. The clip runs less than 90 seconds. During that time, you see three city officers in an alley. Seconds later, audio of the officers begins to be recorded. I'm good, check here. Hold on. 
The officer is seen returning to the spot where the three were just standing, picking up a can and pulling drugs from it. The same can that it appears he placed the drugs in seconds earlier. He retrieves it right from the space where he had just put it. Debbie Katz-Levy is with the Public Defender's Office. Our initial reaction was complete shock. This is something that we argue in court all the time, and we shock. never actually get to see it live on camera. Last week, the case was scheduled to go to trial. But then a public defender noticed this first frame of footage. Take a look. It appears as if the officer has a can in his hand that he's placing a baggie in. Details the public defender outlined in this email to prosecutors on the eve of the trial. The state writes back saying, quote, I've passed it up. Something is going to happen because of this revelation. The next day charges are dropped. But then days later, the same officer is called by prosecutors to testify in another case. So they had knowledge, they watched it, they were appalled by what was on the video, and then for whatever reason made the choice to continue to call him as a witness. The state's attorney's office confirms the case was dropped and a supervisor was told about this video and what it appears to show. The Baltimore Police Department issued this statement that says, quote, we take allegations like this very seriously, and that's why we launched an internal investigation into the accusations. We are fortunate to have body-worn cameras, which provide a perspective of the events as reported. Mm. A perspective. <laughs> the truth is a perspective. Because there's an alt-truth, you know, where something else could have occurred. Like, you know, he could have just... Okay. Been controlled by aliens. <laughs> I mean, now the prosecutor's office, district attorney office, sees this right. That's a crime. That's a yep. crime. That's that's that falls under one. corruption in public office. I probably ask you know how these prosecutors love to stack charges. I'm sure they could find plenty of charges to stack on him. But no, did they they view it? Oh, we're troubled by this. We kicked it upstairs, and then next week you calling this dude in as a state witness instead of calling him in to arrest him. See, this is why the whole system can't be reformed. It has to be abolished. It there's no reform in this, people. You say, oh, there's just a few bad apples. Okay, which one in this out of these three was the bad apple? Or were they all bad because they all watched them do it? And didn't nobody stop them? Didn't nobody say nothing? They just all went along with it. Did you hear them laughing in the background yes. when they were doing it? So it what did they do? Plant, plant these drugs in this lot and then wait for somebody to walk by and then say, oh, I saw, what, what was that I saw you throw? over there and then oh they go find it the drugs that they planted I'd like to know where they got the drugs did they steal them from the evidence room and if they didn't steal them did they buy them illegally from a drug dealer did they confiscate them from a drug dealer were they approved by officers superior to them in order for them to use the drugs for this purpose I mean, no questions that rise from this. Those were some pretty big rocks, Max. (laughs) Yes, they were. I mean, was that their own personal stash, like a throwaway gun? You have some throwaway crack. Is Dave Chappelle so on point? It is unreal. That is surreal. Mm -mm -mm. Sprinkle a little crack on them. And wasn't it Baltimore that did the same thing to a local store owner 
where the Baltimore policeman got caught on video mm-hmm. going into the store, putting a vial of crack on the counter. That was that undercover officer, right? It, it, he had, yes. on, yeah, he was undercover. Or the one in Michigan, where the black man who worked for the auto worked for one of those auto companies up there on his way home, and it wasn't in Detroit; it was in Flint, I think, or or Inkster, one of those little suburbs around Detroit. And and then he beat the dude up too, and planted drugs. Man, this happens all the time. We I remember stories out of Alabama. Remember those stories of the whole yes, narcotics years, thing? The whole police force. Oh, targeting man. blacks on purpose. These are not isolated incidents, people. Yeah, and and that's why the other story kind of ties into this one, Scotty, in regards to the study that they did finding out that in cities with a higher black population, they rely more on tickets and fees and court fines and such for city revenue. And, and like this is why this is what they're doing that they're out to black communities, minority communities, poor white communities are like Walmart's to the prison industrial complex. Shop until you drop cops come in and get all the bodies that they need. No matter how big their quota is, they will always find more because every single one of y'all are breaking some law or doing something criminal. And if you're not, they'll just make some shit up. As simple as that. And grab as many as y'all as they need so they can get a, their brother-in-law Bubba can get a job in the prison. Their cousin Arthur can get a job on the police force. The other cousin can work with the tow trucks. Another one can work with the bail bonds. And it just creates this whole economy around nothing but oppression and slavery. Well, you know what's different, though, about uh, post-1865 slavery as opposed to pre-1865 slavery? See, pre-1865 slavery, it was only the wealthy whites that was in on it. Maybe a couple of, you know, overseers might be hired on or, or something like that. But for the most part, they didn't have jobs. You know, that's why people was trying to figure out how did they convince these poor white people to pick up arms and go risk their lives when they didn't own slaves, they didn't have slaves working for them or putting money into their pocket, they wasn't profiting from slavery. How did they do it? They used race they used racism. Again, racism as a tool of slavery. Oh and selective policing. Yeah. Yep. But now here we are in post. 1865 and now they have cut in a huge segment that's your police officers that's your jail workers that's your prison guards that's that's your third party vendors and and private contractors and mental help (laughs) wow so they have actually made a huge part of the population dependent on slavery you know including people who look like me, Max. Yeah. You break them, you punish them, you fix them, you break them. You punish them, you fix them, you break them. (laughs) It's just like this big cycle of human suffering and it just generates so much revenue that it's able to, uh, you know, empower the people who are operating within it. And you're right, that is a big difference, Scotty, from the 18th, the pre-antebellum slavery and, and this is what we have now because, you know, a little boy, 12 years old, in China could buy stock today in private prisons and be a slave owner <laughs> just that quick. 
He could go online, don't matter what his age is or where he's at or where you, whatever you got going on, they have let everybody in on the market now. So you could just go ahead and press a couple buttons on the internet, and poof, you own slaves. You got 100 shares in CCA or Geo Group or 1,000 shares or a million shares. That represents people. You know, those, we get so confused because they turned us from slaves to criminals with one amendment. And then they put us with real criminals and said, pick which one is the criminal. Because, <laughs> you know, we're all criminals in their eyes. We've been criminalized and demonized. So, you know, good people like a Sandra Bland could end up sitting next to somebody who just committed 12 murders. And, you know, every sentence, every single sentence, I don't care if you spend a night in jail or the rest of your life in prison, every sentence is a possible death sentence. Every one of them. Yeah. Well, let so, me get this story. But, but Max, you know, I, 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 I talking, do. Man. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, I just that just really came to me, man. But that's how long and how hard we study this issue that we can pick up on the subtle differences that they yeah. use to to keep it going. Right. You just get everybody involved, so they're all invested in it. Like, you can't stop. Like, really? You're going to quit your job as a prison guard that you've been in the last 20 years? You're going to stop being a cop now because slavery exists? Really? You're going to give up your home, your car, your mortgage, your alimony, all those things you have to pay for that depend on nothing more than how many people are going into goddamn cages. <laughs> That's, you know, you're just going to get that. No, they're not going to do that. They're invested. And they create more ways to invest. So even people all over the world can be invested in slavery and human trafficking. Well, here's this study. Um, read some of it, but not all. And it comes from Box. And it says, if you want to stop police from disproportionately ticketing black communities, a recent study has one potential answer. Elect more black people to local government. We'll start off by saying, I don't necessarily agree with that, but let's move on. The study by political science researchers Michael Sciences of the University of Memphis and Hyungyu of Vanderbilt University had two major findings. Using data from more than 9,000 cities, the researchers first found that cities with larger black populations rely more on fines and court fees to raise revenue. The average collection was about $8 per person for all cities that get at least some revenue from fines and fees. But that rose to as much as $20 per person in the cities with the highest black populations. So it more than doubled, or damn near, it more than doubled from regular cities to ones with high black populations. The findings persisted even after controller, controlling for other factors, such as difference in crime rates and the size of cities. Then the researchers wanted to look at how much this disparity would be alleviated if at least one black person is on the city council. Using a smaller sample of about 3,700 cities due to data limitations, they found that having at least one black person on the city council reduced the relationship between race and fines by about 50%. Wow, man, that's not a few points. That's half, half, just one person on the city council. What a lot of cities do is rely on a source of revenue 
that falls disproportionately under black residents, census told me. And when blacks gain representation on the city council, this relationship gets a lot better. The situation doesn't become perfect, but it becomes alleviated to a great extent. The study does not prove causation, and the researchers caution against drawing definitive conclusions from just one study, although they tried to control for all sorts of variables that could explain the findings. It's always possible that something else is going on that they missed. The researchers hope to address some of these limitations in future studies. We provided the link to this and the study at New Abolitionist Radio for you to peruse through it yourself and see what it has to say. But there's more to the story, so take the time and read it when you get the opportunity. Scotty? Um, Max, it's just wonderful that people are using technology as it should be used. You know, and that's to inform yourself and to gather data and information and to inform others. So, you know, I just want to thank all of those people out there who have been researching this. And, you know, we did the report Ferguson is America. And we identified these patterns and practices in cities and towns all over America. And that's why we called it Ferguson is America. Uh, you and Johanan mm-hmm. came up with that. With we that, predicted uh, what we're gonna, they were going to find out in Ferguson. And then when they did find it out, it was like, well, you're going to find that everywhere. Right. Every city and every county is going to have the same damn thing. And we've shown that to be true. Yes, sir. So that's all I got to say is good job. So, you know, because when people, when you make an accusation or allegation that something is happening, you can't just give anecdotal little stories and, uh, and and I think this is what happened or I believe this is what happened. You have to know what you're talking about. And this is this just provides more evidence onto the mountain of evidence that slavery was never abolished, man. You know, this also points to institutional racism, like as in a proof of institutional racism. The study shows that if you have no black people on the city council, not as mayor, not as governor, just the city council, that the amount of fees and fines will increase by 50%. And if you put just one black person on it, because you now have a relationship with somebody black on the city council and they have someone to represent them, it reduces it by a full 50%. Now, if that's not a proof of institutional racism, then what is? Yeah, it's worth looking at and studying for those who want to know or need to know uh, and and use the information to make a difference. So you can arm yourself with these uh, these things here that we're providing with, here with you every day. Scotty, any other comments on that? If not, then I think no, uh, I'd like to hear something from you, as a matter of fact, about the civil af- asset forfeiture and Jeff Sessions. You know, yeah, he's already advanced the cause of criminalizing marijuana while, you know, making meth and... I mean, they're attempting to make meth and heroin legal, but they're going to prosecute marijuana users. But yeah, I'd love to hear, hear about What's going on with the civil asset forfeiture? Yeah, Max, I'm working behind the scenes and multitasking. If you could post that story for me so I could easily get to it on New Abolitionist Radio, 
Uh, yes, sir. I'm gonna page. put it up right now. Okay, thank and you, sir. I appreciate that, but it taught me, man. I'm starting to look. It's some terrible things happening here in North Carolina, but I am encouraged because I found out from this article that this is actually illegal in the state. And we just recently raised the age to uh, 18 to prosecute someone as an adult. They had to be 18. So we've been making some strides in the state. And I was, you know, and Stacy George, when he talked about he wants to model his program where he wants to pay. Now, they're not paying prisoners here $10 an hour, but he said he wants to model it after North Carolina, which which provides a education a real education in a job skill or a trade you know so I, I'm finding out things about North Carolina um, that I think are are should be duplicated but again they still practice in slavery too so um, yeah for all the good works <laughs> that comes all tonight when you got that big old sin on your ledger so uh, yeah need to end slavery North Carolina uh, but let me pull that up for you Max uh, let me see. It's on New Abolitionist Radio on our Facebook page. Give me just yes, a moment sir. as I refresh the screen. Y'all bear with me. I, I'm trying to um, for, do For those that are new listeners, by the way, we haven't mentioned it tonight. Uh, sometimes we treat it like the obvious thing. But the key element that we talk about a lot is the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which says slavery shall be abolished in the United States and all its territories, except for prisoners duly convicted. And we firmly believe and have shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that this exception has been exploited prior to it even being adopted up until now. Okay, so this is an article that comes from North Carolina. Uh, the CarolinaJournal.com. Carrie Travis wrote this article. She says, It soon will be easier for the feds to take your property even if you're not convicted of a crime. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced Wednesday that federal law officials would expand, will expand civil asset forfeiture, meaning they can more easily take your property without pressing criminal charges or following state laws. Now y'all want to tell me again how free this country is and how great this country is and cuz we've been talking about the billions of dollars that they've been ripping off from citizens in these in in this civil asset forfeiture already. We we talked about it on this program and now they're going to expand it. But you want to be focused on some real Americans out there protesting against slavery and and the brutality of slave catchers. You ain't even focusing on, hey, cops have been empowered to just rob us blind and they've been robbing us on the street without even convicting us of a crime. See, this is how foolish it is. This is how racism easily distracts people. Okay, so uh, civil ass, and then of course when it's made up and it's not even real, ain't no Black Lives Matter practicing no racism against nobody. Uh, but U.S. Um, civil asset forfeiture laws are the best way to fight drug crimes, according to Jeff Sessions. He said in a new directive that would reverse Obama era protection protections against such laws. Look, I don't, Max, you correct me if I'm wrong. I do not. Re- I remember them cutting back. But they did not abolish um, this program under the Obama 
administration. See, that uh, was the thing Obama's about Obama's famous for smoking mirrors. What they did was say they were going to review it and possibly uh, take it out, and then like a year later, they came back and said they changed their mind and they were going to actually advance it. And then Jeff Sessions came along and said he's going to certainly advance it. Okay, so in a press release, Sessions said civil asset forfeiture is a key tool that helps law enforcement defund organized crime take back ill-gotten gains and prevent new crimes from being committed and it weakens the criminals and the cartel. So they've been doing this since what What did our research show? Uh, the 70s? Is when you they, mean with the asset forfeiture? Yes. I, I can't really say with any I, certainty. I, I, believe, um, I believe it was the 70s if I recall um, correctly. I, I, I would say I'm 95% sure it was in the 70s when they first introduced this, the federal government that is. So um, the practice which a law allows law enforcers to confiscate money and property for probable cause of drug crimes is legal in many states. It became especially popular during the Reagan administration's war on drugs in the 1980s. Civil forfeiture is illegal in North Carolina but a federal loophole thwarts the state citizens' protections. Under an equitable sharing program, states can partner with the federal government in forfeiture cases. Since state laws don't apply under the program, North Carolina law enforcement are free to seize property and assets as they see fit. So here we got slave catchers ignoring the will of the people of North Carolina and saying we don't care. We don't care, North Carolina, what your laws are, okay? Uh, we're going to partner with the feds, and we're going to rob you blind. And then we're going to split the booty. I'm, I'm disgusted by this. Max has posted this article at uh, fromcarolinajournal.com on our page on Facebook, New Abolitionist Radio. Yeah, I, I posted that, Scotty and a number of other articles to really drive this thing home that you can uh, see, and you can see the pattern and practice of what's going on here. At least two other countries have warned their citizens to be wary of the police in the United States because they will rob you. Those countries being Canada, who officially warned their citizens that law enforcement in the United States will pull them over and seize their cash. And the other one was the Bahamas, who gave a very similar a warning to their citizens traveling to the United States. Beware the police cash grab. And both of those articles are available. And then we also have the uh, expose from 2014 where News Channel 5 investigates policing for profit. Just one of the many exposés that have shown how they exploit this to the uh, upwards of the possibly tens of billions of dollars where they can pull you over say one brother I remember in one of the videos was taking money to another state to buy a car that he had uh, contacted or I guess online or Craig's book, book or something like that he had like four or five thousand dollars he's driving along cops stopped him took his money uh, said that it's possible drug money and then never gave his money back and they don't have to give you that money back now, like they don't have to give you the damn money back they can just take your shit for no reason at all, say it's suspected, and then auction it off. And the money goes to paying police salaries, police bonuses, 
buying new gear and equipment for police, all of these things that that end up where you see a chief of police making a half a million dollars in salary. Half a million dollars in salary for a chief of police. I don't know where chiefs of police make a half worth a half a million dollars in salary, but apparently that's the way it turns out with a lot of these asset seizure uh laws that are going on there. It's robbery, chief, man. That's all the please. fox is in charge of the hen house right now when you're talking about these good old boys up there in the White House. We warned you. We told you what was going to happen. And it's only going to get worse until you finally stand up and look at the world as it is and not as you think it is. But, you know, we supposedly got all these good cops out here, these good law enforcement officers, and they've been robbing Americans of billions of dollars. So, you know, facts don't matter long as you got the propaganda media on your side to drill and drill in your head. Again, you know, I'm not trying to paint cops with a broad brush and what have you. I've never been mistreated by a police officer where I live. They've always been quite respectful. Uh, they never taken any of my property or anything like that. But I can't go off of what I see happening to me. I have to look, I have to take a broader view and that's what's happening to other people. And now, and this amount of money, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of cops, so-called, uh, just doing their jobs to protect us. Yeah, what? Protect us from spending our own money uh, on frivolous things? I, I mean, what? What? How are you protecting us? By taking from us. And then we're paying you on top of that. We're paying you to rob us. Oh, my goodness. Best hustle in the world, ain't it? You, the people who you oppress, pay you for it. We have a call, Max. Yeah. All right, no, no doubt. Let's take our caller, and then we're going to get into our final segments after that. Uh, caller, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. State your name and where you're calling from, and your question or comment. Six four six. Peace, peace everyone. Uh, peace, brother Scotty. Ah. Peace, and, Tag. Uh, peace, brother Max. I, it's it's a well. I'm ca I'm calling from the the other state that um, had people being enslaved as adults, even though they were not adults. Um, and so I just wanted to speak toward uh, that because I had not even heard that North Carolina had changed its law as well, but uh, New York State. Um, you know, brought out the so-called raise the age uh, law in about in April of this year, and I just found it quite interesting that these two remaining states that for years had been the last states in the U.S. Uh, to be charging juveniles uh, as adults uh, just so happened to, you know, within a couple of months of each other, suddenly kind of see the error of their ways, so to speak, and uh, raise the age. I just I just found that uh, quite noteworthy. Indeed. Scotty? And welcome back, brother. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, yeah, Tag, you're right. You know, um, I knew that North Carolina was one of the two states that had not raised the age to 18, and I was happy to find that out 
through the ACLU. I subscribed to their Facebook page and they sent it out, um, you know, saying this was the right thing to do and how they had advocated for it. So, you know, trending in the right direction, but still we ain't getting to the root of the problem. And that problem is slavery. Exactly, exactly, Brother Scotty. And and part of what I find so intriguing about this uh, concession, if you will, is that, like, yes, that's extremely important. But, you know, I, I haven't been, you know, I just heard about the North Carolina um, passage of the bill, so I will be looking into it. But I know with respect to the New York State bill, there are a lot of flaws and there's a lot that uh, was held back uh, with regard to the question of, you know, who is an adult and who isn't. And so I, I just, my mind immediately went to uh, a discussion in um, Huey P. Newton's work. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it was uh, revolutionary suicide. And he, he speaks about the, the safety valve that the system, you know, will very... Um, carefully, you know, turn one way or the other uh, as a means of stemming the tide of resistance to uh, what it is that they implement. So it just struck me as one of these strategic concessions where, you know, it's, it's it's not retroactive. So those who were tried as adults and are still inside who were, you know, uh, not yet adults, they can't appeal on that basis, at least to my knowledge, in, in New York State. That might be different in North Carolina. I have and, not heard, you know, Max. I mean, I'm sorry, Tag. They No, that was not part in the reading that when I was trying to read up on it, it, it did not make it retroactive. Sort of like how Barack Obama was getting patted on the back for reducing the crack cocaine disparity, but then behind the scenes in court, Eric Holder is fighting to stop these people from getting out retroactively under the resentencing guidelines. So you you right you right on point, uh, Tag and and Huey P. Newton is is correct. You know, uh, uh, as as the uh, our um, great revolutionary ancestor is that they will make concessions. They will make concessions to make to just get you to be like oh that's such a great victory our job is done no more children are being tried as adults okay but you know uh no that that we can't stop there we can't stop anywhere short of crossing the finish line of abolitionism absolutely absolutely yeah scotty man uh if only we could impress upon so many more that the key domino to knock all of this down begins with the 13th Amendment. Oh, Tag, I want to ask, uh, uh, actually thank you and our abolitionist comrades in your area. I haven't uh, gotten that information on what it's going to take for y'all to set up a satellite rally uh, in solidarity with the D.C. rally on August the 19th. But we'll get that information to you as soon as possible, as soon as we hear back. That would be great. Much appreciated. And we'll, we'll be uh, discussing those plans a little bit later this week. So, you know, any, any updates on that are, are much appreciated. Either way, you know, we'll, we'll be putting it together. And, um, 
even if it's not on the same day, it will be in that same spirit. Yeah, because you don't need anybody's permission, you know. But I mean, it's great that you reached out to make, uh, you know, an official connection. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that we really have to focus on now, is just as a group of abolitionists, is to get the word out more and more. Uh, if if all you can do is have like a support rally in your city, then do it. I mean, we should have support rallies in every city for people that couldn't make it for whatever the reason. But the primary goal should be to get up and get to D.C. one way or another. We got another call, Max, and we'll just forego the last break so that we can get in our segments. But we got Brother Braggs. Brother Braggs, what's on your mind? Peace and welcome, brother. Yes, sir. Peace, fellas. I was just wondering, are you guys familiar with Judge Anna? Judge Anna? Yeah, Judge Anna, let me mention that to you then. This report comes from the Maine Republic email. It first went out on um, November 28, 2015. Alaska State Judge Anna Von Ritz, Anna Marie Rinziger. Yes, I've read. Open letter to all federal right. agents, including FBI, U.S. Marshals. Well, she's saying that they instituted a bogus government without the people's permission. This is a great article. I, I won't read it, but I, I was wondering if you guys can pull it up and look at it on the Maine Republic MailAlert.com. Yes, I have read it before. Uh, the Alaska State Judge Anna Von Ritz and what she wrote in regards to that. Uh, yeah, we've shared it from New Abolitionist Radio before. I'll do it again today too because it is worth reading. Thank and, and you for your reminder. The Pope just abolished all corporations on the seventeenth. It's called. Uh, I don't even want to try to pronounce it because I'll, I'll wreck that word. But he 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 dissolved all corporations. All man. It, I think I sent it to you, Scotty. If you get a chance, take a look. I, at that. I heard you talking about it on Tando Radio Show. Uh, I did get those links. I just haven't been able to review them all. But uh, I like to see that actually happen here in the United States. I don't think it will happen because these bad boy slavers, look, it took a civil war the last time to put them down. It may take another civil war to put them down. But, you know, that would mean then that the United States is <laughs> a corporation. Uh, could be right. dissolved put it into all corporations. So right, United you States. It's illegal now. It's something called proportional. I can't pronounce the word, but it's a law. And what that law means, they got to make all things right. But you know, these, this these is acting against the law. They're going to be they're supposed to be prosecuted from now on onward because he's calling them all criminals. Well, he's calling, con- he's calling Congress policemen. If you're not an open office, you're a criminal, man. It well, the Pope, the Pope doesn't have an army to come arrest nobody and put nobody on trial. Um, in fact, you know, I would say that he might need to be on trial with his Nazi background, but that's neither here or there, but I hear you. The Pope runs this world. The three city state is what's run this world, the Vatican. Well, I would like to see it happen. The military branch of the three city state. Well, I would and like to see it happen. From place to place starting war. We the military branch. That's, what, that's the only thing we do. We go to war. Uh, London is the money, and the Vatican is the religious arm, and that's the three city state. Well, yep. serious stuff, man. These, these boys have a standing army. They got the United Nations. These boys, the Vatican ain't no joke. Well, does All the Vatican know about slavery? Law. Does the Vatican know that slavery is legal in the United States? 
Perhaps we the need Vatican to send him an email. The all the slavery, Scotty. They still finance. Okay. The Vatican is at the bottom of all this. The Jesuit people is at the bottom of all this stuff. The all conquest right. of those men. Yeah, these boys are in this deep. Germans, they're all in this deep. Because this country was founded on slavery. They came to our country. They started enslaving the indigenous. That's where it began. Slaving the women and children. That's where it began. And that's what we have right now. They're still doing the same thing. It's just a different time. Same game. Right. All right. Appreciate that input from Brother Braggs. Yes, we we got um man, I gotta get caught up on this next for this next program. So uh Max, you wanna take us to our next segments? Uh yes, yes. We're going to our regular scheduled segments and uh just give me a second here and I will pull up out of there. I will put up pull up our rebellion that we will be remembering today and uh The segment for freedom's sake a history of rebellion we will be remembering the 1733 saint john's insurrection the 1733 saint john's insurrection one of the earliest slave revolts in north america saw a group of african slaves effectively conquer the danish owned island of saint john at the time most of saint john's slaves were part of the akan an african people from modern day ghana plagued by widespread illness, droughts, and harsh slave codes, in November 1733, a group of high-ranking Akans began to plot against their Danish masters. The rebellion began when a group of slaves used smuggled weapons to kill several Danish soldiers inside a fort at a plantation called Corral Bay. Another 150 conspirators soon converged on the island's other plantations killing several white colonists and eventually seizing command of most of St. John. The slaves planned to claim the island and its valuable farmland as their own, but their freedom was ultimately short-lived. After only six months of a con rule, in May 1734, several hundred French troops arrived and violently put down the rebellion. It was not until 1848 that slavery was finally abolished in the Danish West Indies. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio remember St. John's Slave Revolt. Salute. Salute, indeed, brother. Indeed. But you know what, right, man? We're coming up on... Hmm? Every time I hear that this country or that country abolished slavery... I don't trust it. <laughs> I don't trust it because they might have their own exception clauses. They might just have their own exception clause. That is for sure, man. All right. Well, our next one will be our rider of the 21st century underground railroad. As Scotty has mentioned, we won't be doing our abolitionists and profile this week. Uh, I'll provide you with that information that I mentioned, by the way, Scotty, so you can start figuring out how we can work it out. Our rider of the 21st century underground railroad is Desmond Ricks. Prosecutors in Detroit have dropped all charges as his murder conviction was thrown out June 1st um, after serving 25 years in prison. And this comes from U.S. News AP by Ed White Associated Press. Detroit AP. Prosecutors in Detroit have dropped all charges against a man whose murder conviction was thrown out last week after he served 25 years in prison. An analysis of two bullets shows they didn't match the gun that was offered as the murder weapon at the 1992 trial. Desmond Ricks 
was exonerated after making a provocative claim that Detroit police framed him for the fatal shooting of a friend outside of LeBron. The Wayne County Prosecutor's Office says Ricks won't face a second trial. The hearing lasted just minutes Thursday. The 51-year-old let out a sigh and shook hands with lawyers and students from University of Michigan Law School who represented him in his effort to reopen the case. Judge Richard Scutt said he hopes Rick enjoys his newfound freedom. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio remember and salute you, uh, my brother Desmond Ricks. Salute. Welcome to freedom, brother. Welcome to freedom. So just this June, after 25 years, man, in the 90s, they were just throwing us into prisons and making up all kinds of stories. Like, that's a time when the prison population just started exploding. You had Donald Trump writing articles about killing blacks and, and Spanish people, calling them, uh, what, what, what did uh, Hillary call them? Scotty Reed? Super predators. predators. Super predators. And they was just, and they were talking about billions of dollars in the policing. They hired 100,000 new cops, built all these new prisons. That was a terrible time. They was rounding us up like I mean, it was, but, uh, but, like we were ripe wheat. But, I mean, also, I mean, when she was out there calling um, non-white people super predators and stuff, I mean, that's on the same level of this recent NRA video that we just listened to today. Same stuff, same stuff. This is what I'm talking about. You know, I I try to stay on point with this and let people be aware. It's leading to another tragedy, a level that's past. It always gets worse. So if you think the 90s was bad, you wait until 2020 and take a look around you. You know, there was an article came out earlier today that I shared. It said, right now, we, there are more slaves, and they're talking about illegal slavery, on earth than have ever been recorded before. All across the globe, people are practicing slavery, physical, literal, shadow slavery one way or another. So you know they'll exploit it here in America where they can legalize it and call it doing good and being righteous. We're taking care of those criminals for you, y'all, so you could be safe. And don't worry about the poor people. Don't listen to them. They're uneducated. They don't know what they're talking about. We're doing you with justice, protecting you from those people over there. Mm-mm-mm. All right, Scotty. we got about 12 minutes left, so uh, any closing statements that you want to put out there I mean we can close out a little earlier so I can um, shut down the conference and restart it for mind body and spirit coming up at 10 o'clock if we can just do that about 5 minutes till we'll be, we'll be great so that gives about 11 minutes I just want to implore everyone to take it upon themselves to just tell somebody that slavery was never abolished, that the 13th Amendment has an exception clause, that Lincoln made a concession to the Confederates to bring them back into the Union, and and that was that they could keep practicing slavery. Because remember, he never, his intent was never to abolish slavery. He says so himself. His intent was to keep the Union together. And if he could solidify them rejoining the Union by giving up, the victims of slavery who just got emancipated uh, uh, subjecting them right back to it I don't believe he would have hesitated and he didn't hesitate so it's not a matter of my opinion 
It's not a matter of I feel that slavery exists or it looks like slavery. It, no, it's slavery. Their constitution, the supreme law of the land says it's slavery. So tell people it's slavery. You know, just like these Jehovah Witnesses, they send out, uh, you know, people to knock on doors and tell you about whatever it is they tell you about because I ain't never took the time to listen to one. But, you know, but then you have other people who will, they call it witnessing in, in the Christian vernacular where I'm going to tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, you know, same concept. Tell somebody. Make it your mission to tell somebody that slavery has never been abolished. This evil institution exists. We can see the many different symptoms, but, you know, it really points to the disease. And that's the disease of slavery and human trafficking. And if you can do that, man, you know, you you just don't understand the kind of ripple effects that it has. You just don't understand. You may think that you haven't done nothing, that that ain't going to do nothing, and it's going to, you know, only be a small impact. But that person, you know how the saying goes. One person tells another person, that person tells two people, those two people go tell two people, and it just keeps multiplying and multiplying until we have a multitude of abolitionists ready to throw down to end slavery. So those are my final comments. Join us August 19th in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House that enslaved Africans built uh, for perhaps the largest abolitionist rally ever to occur. Um, at least since pre uh, post-1865. Thanks, Max. No doubt, Brother Scotty. Um, right on point, as always. Uh, I'll keep it short, because I, I know you want to reboot so you can get everything going. We really need to stop helping corporate media and racist devils demonize us by spreading frivolous news stories about people of color or focusing on our internal arguments like media gladiator fights. The next time you share a story about how vicious, stupid, mean, inhuman, evil, or horrible a black man or woman is, think first. Why am I sharing this? How does it help? Who does it help? And as to our internal arguments, you know, like what's going on with Kirkpatrick and Vic right now, remember this. Racists love to use black people as proxies for their narratives so they can have a black face to point at and say, look, he or she said it, not us. We just agree. After 400 years of indoctrination and assimilation, you can best believe there are more than enough people who will ignorantly repeat what they think are their own thoughts and be wrong. There are enough train wrecks to watch already. Be mindful of the role you play in all of this. And especially one thing in particular. Remember, like Brother T said, T said earlier, Palmetto Star, he's an abolitionist and a revolutionary. Well, abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you 
scars our father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing rise up when famine claims millions when justice gives blind eyes to billions when the lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all 